Hi, I'm Emily Salaby, founder of Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company, and your host on the Hazard Girls podcast here on Jacket Media. I'm so honored to host this show where I get to chat with Hazard Girls about their careers. Hazard Girls is an online community for women working in traditionally male-dominated fields. On our show, you'll get to hear from these amazing women about the path that led them to their current careers, challenges they've overcome, advice for other women in entering these industries, and more. Libby Mandarata is the Chief People Officer of GE Frisco Company, a family-owned business specializing in supplying lumber and building materials across the Mid-Atlantic region. Libby has been in the construction industry herself for over 20 years, and she oversees the entire division of business that serves state and federal contracts at her company. She is also the chair of the Women Building Washington Committee in Associated Builders and Contractors Metro Washington, an active committee member of Washington Building Congress, and on the Programming and Stewardship Committee of the annual Women in Construction Conference in D.C. She volunteers in Project She Builds and National Rebuilding Day with Rebuilding Together Montgomery County to help renovate and provide critical repairs to vulnerable populations. Libby is a champion of helping the younger generation learn more about the construction industry and trades, and she is passionate about inspiring more women to enter the construction industry and elevate into leadership positions, which is so important because, you know, we can't just get women in, but we want them to rise up to the top, right? Absolutely. Well, welcome to the Hazard Girls podcast, Libby. Thank you so much, Emily. I'm happy to be here. We actually met in person recently when I was in the Washington, D.C. area at a National Association of Women in Construction event at the Miller and Long Construction Company. And I'm so glad we met there and connected for the podcast. Absolutely. Because I mean, what a perfect match. (laughs) It sure was. It sure was. I was so impressed by your line of shoes that you have. I think it's an amazing idea, an amazing product. So. Oh, I'm so glad you love them. (laughs) That's great. Well, I'm, I'm glad that we connected and we are having a chance to do this. Let's start out by learning a little bit about you and your background. 20 years in the, first of all, you look very young. So I'm trying to figure out how you have been in the construction industry for 20 years. <laughs> well, that is very flattering. But basically, I started my career in, in construction, which is, which is how it's been 20 years already. Actually, so it's very interesting. I went to GW and I understand you did as well. I just found out. American, Ameri- like right down the street. Sorry, American, American, but part of the D.C. neighborhood. Yes, we're all family there. So, yes, I actually started off at information systems. That was the thing to do at the time. And, you know, I even did my master's in information technology. And I worked at some of your listeners who are might be of my generation, if they remember Bell Atlantic, which then turned into Verizon. Um, So I actually worked with them as they went through that merger to becoming Verizon. Um, which was a very interesting time. And then, you know, very soon after I joined my father's company, I just thought it was a nice progression. My father would, has owned G Frisco Company for 37 years now. And it's just a family-owned business. I had the chance to run around as a kid as we were growing up. And it's just always been part of our world. World. I never really thought I would work there, but somehow I landed um, into working with him and has never left, actually. So... I totally get it because I, I come from family businesses as well and in my in both my family and my husband's side of the family so and I it's such it can be such an incredible atmosphere if it's if it's a good family owned company and it sounds like yours is and I'd love to hear like when you were a little kid 
because I used to spend a lot of time at my parents' work, you know, just like absorbing everything, watching them, you know, just in awe of, of the things that they were doing and, you know, playing with things on the floor. Is that what you did? Were you just there as a child? I was. Um, and, you know, I remember having a typewriter and annoying the heck out of my dad by just, you know, clicking away on the typewriter. And, you know, but it's funny, I didn't truly grasp how much work and energy and uh, what a successful, well-oiled machine my dad actually ended up running until I actually came into business and saw saw it with my own two eyes. You know, I mean, he never, he was somebody who never brought his work home, never brought his troubles home. And so I didn't understand the stress until I actually got into it. Well, we did, you you know, kind of ride around in the loader, sometimes around the yard. And I have three young boys. They've come join me at work now. They ride around on the tractor and it's fun for them. I truly did not ever think that I would come into construction. So I wasn't, I wasn't one of those. In fact, my dad didn't even, I don't think wanted any of us. He actually wanted to push us into the IT world and the computer world and, you know, go into the more the digital age of what was coming up rather than construction. But, you know, I think you're, you know, you find your way somehow. And the fact that construction is still booming is still doing amazing. And and I'm here and I'm here to champion for other women in the industry. I think it was just meant to be looking back on it. It was meant to be now. (laughs) Let's talk about the business. It's GE Frisco. Did your dad start this company? He actually did not. So he brought it, he bought it from actually a gentleman named G.E. Frisco. The company is actually over, it's about 66 years old. Um, and so when he bought it in 1985, he kept the name just simply because it was something that was working. He didn't want to go through the rebranding of it. My dad's a first generation immigrant in this country. So I know that he was very conservative in how he was doing his spending and, you know, making sure that the country was, company was running smoothly, but not necessarily making so many changes that would you know, keep people from coming to GE Frisco. But truly, he built it. I want to even say from the ground up. It was nothing up until he took it over. We're a lumber um, supplier company. And that's our primary focus is supplying lumber, softwood, and hardwood. But we are trying to see if we can move into different areas. And uh, my father has actually now officially retired. So my brother and I are the ones who are taking over the company as of now. So what has that been like to take over the company that you didn't even think you were going to be working for? It's very interesting because I think that I've truly seen a growth in myself in the last, I would say, three to four years. So now I do see myself in this leadership role within the company. Um, I started in my 20s within the company and then very soon after I had children. So as I'm sure any mother knows, you know, to focus on a career and focus on children at the same time is obviously, you know, one of the biggest paradoxes of life that are they're in conflict with each other at all times. Um, So not that I took a back seat because I was always working, but I don't think I was able to devote as much of my own leadership into the company while I was raising my children. Um, And now that I'm older, they're older, I feel that I can take on more of the role, which is where the chief people officer role came from. Um, My brother is actually the CEO of the company, so we both share the company. And, you know, I think we complement each other in a really good way. I always like to say my brother is the mind of the company. He kind of handles the financials and the analytics and some of those things. And I'm the heart of the company. I I work with our people. And if there's anything within, you know, customer service and, you know, just making sure that we treat our employees like the humans, incredible humans that they are and the value that they provide to our company. Very important to me. Your title is Chief People Officer. Was this your idea? Where did this title come from? (laughs) So, you know, actually now it's becoming a thing. Um, You know, you'll find in in large companies, they are all now having a Chief People Officer. In fact, I'm very inspired by um, Gary Vaynerchuk and VaynerMedia. They actually have a Chief Heart Officer. Love him. (laughs) 
Exactly. I do too. And, um, you know, he has his chief heart officer who is only involved in the people of his company, and that's truly her role. And while I do still handle our MBE division, since we're a minority-based company, I handle all of our work that comes through our minority division. But when it comes to our people and our employees, um, even though we are a small company, I think that that is probably the number one most important thing a company can focus on. Because if you don't have your people, you have nobody. And to me, I believe in having a very human-centered company, a very team-centered company. And as a chief people officer, whatever concerns them and whatever you know um, is important to them is important to me. Now, at the company, you also have been focusing on contracts. Is that right? Yes. So we do some state and federal contracts, and particularly state. We are MDOT certified, which is the Maryland Department of Transportation. We are also City of Baltimore certified, WMATA, um, and we're a Prince George's County-based business. So, you know, through that, um, because we are a fully functioning yard and warehouse, and we have our trucks and we have our own loaders, um, we are um, certified to supply actually anything that qualifies under building materials. Um, you know, we bring the materials in and we ship it out to those um, people that need to fulfill those um, minority percentages within their contracts. Um, and we're happy to do that because we are, we feel that we're a very reliable supplier. We pay on time and uh, we treat our customers, you know, just like we treat our employees as well, just like their family. So it works out. It's a win-win for everybody. I wanted to ask you about the whole like, minority business enterprise certification and how that's been working for your company? Do you find it's been beneficial? Do you find it's had any drawbacks at all? And just, you know, about the contracting portion of things, if it's been a major part of your business or just, you know, has it been like a, a focus for you guys? And if so, like, how can other people get involved in that type of thing if their business would qualify? Sure. I would say that whatever state you're in first, um, you know, I mean, the first step is to always just figure out what are the qualifications you need to meet in order to become a minority owned company. In our case, my father, um, as the owner, he was an Asian owned minority. And so we qualify under those terms. Um, and it's based on the owner's personal net wealth. It's also based on their on their you know tax history. It's based on the revenues of the business. So once you meet all of those qualifications, you know, it's a certification process within each of those entities to get qualified and get certified, I would say that they are very helpful in answering any questions that you might have, especially a WBE company. I think that they want to get more women-owned businesses you know, on the map. I definitely think it's worth looking into wherever you live just to see if that's part of your county, your state, your city, and um, getting those certification because it certainly can bring a lot more work your way that you wouldn't otherwise have. The federal contracts and state contracts, they have mandates that, you know, they want, you know, a certain percentage of WBE companies or a certain percentage of minority companies. So it's certainly very helpful. It's not the, it's not the largest focus of our business, but um, it is a significant portion that we work on. Yeah, I think it's great for women to know about this option, women-owned businesses to know about this option and to explore it, see if there are some opportunities for them. And also, as, as far as being an Asian-owned business, because you mentioned that you are an Asian-owned business. Does that affect the culture of your company? Do you think it's it's influenced the culture of your company at all? It's actually interesting. I think my father, as a as a you know first generation immigrant into the country, because his accent isn't you know totally Americanized. I mean, he's always said that you know people have kind of viewed him a little bit differently. Um, it's also nobody wants to work for an Asian, you know, that sort of mentality in the construction world a little bit. But I think that, you know, with me and my brother, we have the benefit of having been born here. We have the benefit of not having an accent, being well adapted into the American culture. And um, I do think that diversity, especially within construction, is is coming into it. 
So if anybody does have a problem right now, we are seeing less and less of it. I think my father probably had to face more of those issues and probably had to, you know, deal with that a little bit more than my brother and I. So I think we're, I think not only are we, you know, younger, but we're also, I think, a little bit more relatable to the rest of our employees, just having been born and raised here. We've all been through the same thing. We went through, you know, all of us have gone to college here and, um, and school here. So um, I think that relatable factor helps us, you know, helps us connect with our employees. You've taken on this role of people and culture at your company, chief people officer. So one of the things that I know you mentioned you're doing is working towards creating and maintaining a winning team culture that's rooted in inclusion, gratitude, and respect, you said, and of course, high performance of all employees. And you've talked about how important, of course, people in a company are really its greatest asset and how important it is to you personally. Can you talk a little bit about that and, you know, just dig in a little bit more about how you're focusing on that? What exactly you're doing to, I guess, to ensure that the positivity continues and that you can spread the inclusivity and the respect? How can you help your company do this? Sure, certainly. So I think the number one thing is a company has to have a very clear purpose and it has to have very clear values. One of our first core value is family and um, the second, third, fourth, fifth are positive, accountable. We are growing and customer focused. So, um, you know, all of those core values are actually listed on a wall right outside where I can see right now. So everybody knows what those core values are. We try to hone them in continuously. By family, it's kind of um, a two-parter. Not only are we a family-owned business, but we truly do believe anybody who works for us we stick in them as family and extension also their family members as well because that's what allows them to be so dedicated to our company positive is definitely one of our um, core values we we understand people have bad days and they may bring that to work every so often but in general we want to maintain a positive atmosphere we want to maintain a team atmosphere where everybody's looking out for each other um, one of the coolest things that we do is build bo- vision boards with my team Every year um, at the end of December, uh, we try to do it at the end of December. If it doesn't work out, we do it right at January. Um, but our, our team builds vision boards and that helps them to align their goals for the day. And, and, and these boards are actually lined up on the wall. They're posted up on the wall for all of us to see at all times. And it has their personal goals as well as some work goals with it. So, you know, my job is I kind of, I kind of check in with them throughout the year, see where they're at with their goal making. And it really inspires them to achieve the goals that they've listed. But it also inspires them as they're looking at somebody else's to see how they can help you know, the other um, employees in their company who, have, who are basically their friends now at this stage. I try to just maintain, you know, a, a really good open door policy in my in my office. Anybody's welcome to walk in if they have an issue, if they have a problem. I'd love, you know, I sit down with them. I work with them. And then we also pass this message on to our managers and they are responsible also for checking into their direct reports as well. So I think it's something that can be scalable at any company. Sure, we're a 20 person company. So I think it's a little bit easier to keep tabs, you know, keep tabs on everybody and, and how they're doing. But at the same time, as long as your managers are on board, and they're being trained the same way that you want to run your company the same way you want to inspire them to treat the people that are directly under them, I think that it can be scalable. Now we talked a little bit about your goal of Bringing women in, not just to your company, but to the construction industry in general. And then, of course, like how how we can help elevate them into, you know, higher roles at different companies within the construction industry. What are your thoughts on how, you know, are the best ways to go about doing that? I know, gosh, it's a huge topic, but, you know, what are your main your main points on what you think is the most helpful? So, you know, I always start off with this, that there's only 10% of us. I think we actually moved up a percentage point 
I think we're at 11. Yeah. We're at 11. Yeah, somebody did say that. We're at 11. So all these years we were at 9%. Um, and I believe now we are at 11. Um, I've been fortunate that, you know, being um, the chair of Women Building Washington Committee, I've been able to be given a platform where I can kind of speak to those issues. And we've had leadership panels of women who have honestly talked about their trajectory into construction and how they've been elevated and how they've gotten into it. As we've seen the labor and workforce um, shortage that's happening, I think the answer to that is having more women join. But the problem is, I think, first of all, the awareness isn't there that construction can actually be a flexible work environment, um, depending on your role in the company. And it can also be a very secure and viable field and career for women to get into. So right now we're focusing a lot on getting the awareness out um, through Women Building Washington and NAWIC, which you're also part of. We have Camp Naywick, where we're starting it very young. So the girls are getting a taste of it. We're having a camp for um, high school age girls. And so they're getting a taste of what it actually means to be in the construction world. And as we both know, there's so many roles to it, not just being out in the trades, which would be amazing for them to get skilled in the trades, but as well as, um, you know, there's accounting, there's marketing, there's pre-construction, there's architectural and design part of it. There's a development part of it. Um, so there's so many different roles for women to play within this construction industry. And I think by having their voice and by having them, you know, at the table, and of course, the women that are already within the within a, a company, I'm a huge champion for them to actually be elevated into more leadership positions, because I think their voice needs to be heard. Because truthfully, I think women are naturally more empathetic they're naturally more um, able to listen. They're able to get diverse point of views. And um, they're able to bring that to the table whenever you're having a discussion, having a problem. Goodness gracious, we all you know, manage so many things in our life. I think we're the perfect people to manage a large construction project as well. So what can companies do? Because we know about this, this workforce shortage. And I mean, women are this great untapped resource or barely tapped resource. You know, what can companies do to attract more women and to bring them in? I think, you know, some of it is truly grassroots. Like you start at the job fairs, you start at high school fairs, even, you know, getting them interested in there. Um, And then the larger companies I know are focusing on college fairs. But, you know, when you're at the table, your recruiter should look to women and be like, hey, have you considered this? This is absolutely the job for you. This is where you should go. I think that um, more scholarships probably need to be provided as well for women to feel comfortable about what they're, you know, um, getting into and having a little support in that way. I think the more women's groups we have, which um, certainly there are a ton in this area, you know, it's just awareness and the story of it. That's why I try to post as much on LinkedIn about some of the things that we do, because women find comfort in numbers with other women. That's what I've found. Even if you're at a networking event, I always find, you know, the women are all gathered kind of together um, because it is primarily male dominated. And that's where they feel most comfortable is when they see other women with them. So the more the ones who are in the industry, I'm like pushing more for them to be the face that goes out there and say, hey, this is a great industry. Come join us. You know, um, where we can help you become comfortable within the field. Um, And then, like I said, with the grassroots efforts, it starts as young as like getting them in middle school and high school interested. I don't know about you, but I remember having woodworking class in middle school, which is no longer offered. But some of those basic skills, you know, if we can tap into a younger market, we'll start getting becoming interested in it. Not agree more with you about that. Have you heard the excuse that there just aren't women, enough women in the pipeline as far as hiring or companies saying that they just don't have, they just can't find women? I don't think I've heard that. I think, you know, I think the natural inclination is to go towards the men that are applying. Um, I have not heard that there is a shortage of women. 
um, especially since we've kind of grown in the percentage. I, you know, I've seen Women in Construction Week was in March, and I was just blown away year after year. I think that this is the you know second or third year that I've seen so much of an increase of companies highlighting their women. And gosh, when I look at some of, the, of our major GCs, I mean, we're looking at them having 30, 40, 50 women within their company. Um, in all different, you know, positions. So to me, I don't think that it is a shortage of women. I think it's a shortage of awareness of that these job opportunities are available for women. And how can, once we get the women in, like how, how can we help them get, get into leadership positions? Is it education across the company or is it initiatives? What are some options? I think that it certainly is education. Um, I love leadership panels. I love being involved in anything where you can get it, get a sense of somebody's story. It, through Women Building Washington, also we're hoping to have a mentorship table, I a mentorship roundtable. I truly, truly believe that we need mentors in our in our company. I hope that I am one to the three other women who are in our company. Um, I'd like to think that I am. I don't think I ever had one. Um, so I'm really passionate about being one. Um, I think that. Having been in the industry for so long, I, I, I was probably part of the era that just didn't have those types of you know opportunities available to have a mentor. But I really do believe mentorship is important. I do believe also as women, we've got to look out for each other and we've got to support one another. I recently was on a panel where somebody said, okay, we've been talking about the men disrespecting the women in the workplace and you know women having to be stronger and overcoming those barriers. In my company, I have about eight or 10 women, and they're kind of all catty with each other and kind of fighting with each other. How do you do that? So those communication issues, I think, in the training, it definitely, certainly, the tone has to be set from the top. That this is, you know, unacceptable behavior. Um, the leaders have to set the tone of that company is, is where I would start. And I would honestly have trainings with them if they need to bring in a lawyer who comes in and trains on effective communication and, you know, and um, teamwork and what that means to build up your team as opposed to, you know, building them down and being catty about it. But I certainly believe the more women you have looking out for each other, the more we can elevate each other and all grow together within the center. Yeah. And I think that's improving every year more and more. Yes, absolutely. I wanted to ask you, Libby, because I have your business card <laughs> and on it, it says that you're also an investor. What kind of investing do you do? And is that something that you're, are you also focused on diversity for that as well? I am. I am. Um, so I, I kind of invest in things that sort of speak to me. Uh, I'm an, an angel investor in this mental health app company. And what they do is they support employee assistant programs by providing this app for their employees that has therapists on it, that has yoga, that has meditations, as well as other things. And large companies are required to have an you know employee assistant uh, employee assistance program. Um, so I am an early investor in her company, which I truly believed in. She was a young woman out in Utah who I spoke to her, you know, kind of um, blew me away with her story. And she pivoted during COVID with her business idea. And and it was, it was something that I, I wanted to be involved in. I also have some real estate um, investments that I do, um, most of which is all passive because um, there's only time for so much to do. But um, certainly, I'd love to invest in anything women. I have a few ideas of also engaging more women within construction and seeing um, possibly how I can create um, opportunities for them through investing as well. So I'm looking towards all those things, but haven't hammered, hammered that out quite yet. That's very cool, though. And it's a great trajectory, I think, for your career, because just think how many things that you could get involved with and how many people you could help. 
So right now, you said you've been doing this for 20 years. You know, you're really at your prime. You're, you're running a company with your brother, a family-owned company, and it's very successful. I was just wondering, do you, because you've, you've spoken a little bit about your background, are there any women that you have found that who have really been an inspiration to you in the construction industry as you were coming up? Or has, actually, I shouldn't say women. I should just say people in general, because it's always interesting when it's a woman, but men too. So can you tell us a little bit about your inspiration and who you credit? So actually, that's a great question. Um, so there are two women. I was asked to be the chair of Women Building Washington by Lynn Steph Bennett. Um, she's part of Copley and Williams and Melissa Kohler as well. And, you know, I have had some conversations with the both of them um, who asked me when they, you know, gave me the position, they gave me a whole lot of guidance of how to um, best serve this role as chair of Women Building Washington and what some other um, some other uh, opportunities were that we wanted to explore within this committee of, so it's actually part of ABC Metro. We're part of Associated Builders and Contractors Association of Metro Washington. Um, so they, those two have been truly instrumental. And, and um, I know Melissa Kohler moved into being the president of BF Joy. She has since retired. And um, I've had conversations with her afterwards. But um, it's just, I feel that I look towards them, that these women who started off very young as well and worked their way up. They've had had children um, Debbie Livingston was also the president of ABC Metro for, I believe, 36 years. And prior to me even being the chair, I was able to, you know, see her at the meetings and um, and talk with her from time to time. And just, you know, those three women from ABC Metro really, really have inspired me to, to be my best and to pick up, pick up after them of what they're leaving behind. So we've mentioned a lot of different organizations that you've been involved with. I just want to go through them so our listeners can check them out. So you mentioned, okay, you mentioned... ABC, what does that stand for? Associated Associated Builders and Contractors Association. Um, so we're part of the Metro Washington chapter as well as the Baltimore chapter. They have multiple chapters throughout the country, but that's a really, really good organization for um, the construction industry to get into if you're, if you're in the, any part of construction. Okay. And then, of course, NAWIC, which is the National Association of Women in Construction, which we're involved with, and we're partnered with them, Hazard Girls Podcast is. And also, you mentioned... now. She builds. Is that part of? That's actually uh, an initiative with WBW. It's our signature volunteer pro, um, project that we do, and it's a project for women by women with women. Um, it picks a either a female shelter or a a home with a, with a female in it within Montgomery County, and we partner. And all our entire team is all women. So the scope, the materials, the volunteering, this we do it all together. And so this year, it's actually on June tenth. And so it's a huge partnership um, that we have with Rebuilding Montgomery County together. And as a company with GE Frisco, we actually are partnering with Rebuilding to do National Rebuilding Day. This is going to be April 29th. And so there is a home that we as a company are kind of doing as our own charitable effort, in a sense, you know, and team building um, effort to renovate a home in Silver Spring. And then, of course, you mentioned Washington Building Congress. Yes. Um, it's another trade organization um, that has all sectors of, you know, the construction industry, you know, from legal to insurance to contractors. It's just a great, it's a great organization to also be a part of. Um, the networking is great. The, the workshops that they have are amazing. So it's, it's really good for this area as well. So many terrific organizations for people to get involved with. And where can our listeners contact and find you if they want to connect with you? Sure. The best place is LinkedIn. Um, just look up my name, Libby Menderada. Um, also, you can search for our company, G-E Frisco, F-R-I-S-C-O. You know, they can find me there and message me anytime. I'm always available. 
Libby Banderata, thank you so much for joining us on the Hazard Girls podcast. It was so great to learn more about you and GE Frisco and all the work that you're doing with women in construction. It's been a real pleasure and we're excited to continue to follow your journey. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Emily. Really appreciate it. You have been listening to the Hazard Girls podcast on Jacket Media, sponsored by Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company. That's junojonesshoes.com. And you can go there to learn about our steel toe boots and to join the Hazard Girls community. I'm your host, Emily Salaby. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.